Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unmasked. Today's episode number 33. And thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. I truly appreciate it. And if you are a faithful listener to this show, uh, you might be wondering, uh, why is this coming out on Thursday instead of Monday? Well, I have a good excuse. As if you've been a, a, a listener in previous episodes, you've heard me talk about Amy and I going through the trials and tribulations of moving from one house to another. We just sold our house and are moving to another part of Kansas City in a new house. It's been uh, it's been a, a very um, stress-filled couple of weeks with closing dates happening and not happening, but we finally have moved. We're excited about it. We're in this new house, and um, now I'm ready to sort of dive back into to getting <laughs> getting organized again and starts with getting this episode out. So, so thanks for tuning in. And, and I do, I, I will... I'm going to have Amy and I are going to do a, a, a episode coming up in the next few weeks about just what this, I think God definitely showed us some things about ourselves during this process. Some, a lot of good things, some of the wisdom that God has poured into us, I think came through and was evident, but there are definitely some areas where we need to tighten up and um, we need to lean in more to God and, um, you know, we're going to talk about all that in an upcoming episode. But today, we're, we're none of that talk today. We're just going to dive right into today's episode because it because it is an important one, and it's with uh, Lee Gibson and Candace Spangler from Relentless Pursuit Outreach and Recovery. And and this is a group that Lee founded. Lee is a member of the intelligence community. He's also a former U.S. Army Ranger. When I first met Lee, uh, he was described to me as as a very bad bad man very bad in a good way. I mean, you don't want to get on his bad side because he knows how to track you down. He knows how to find you and he will take care of business. And so I was a little bit nervous meeting Lee, but based on my background, but uh, he was, he's uh, just a really, uh, really great individual. And uh, he founded Relentless Pursuit as a way to, well, really as a way to one, help rescue victims of sex trafficking and women who've been sexually exploited to rescue them out of that life and, and give them a place through Christine's place, which is, uh, if you recall some previous episodes with Christine McDonald, uh, a few weeks ago that I had, that is the same Christine. And there's a, there's a house in downtown Kansas city on the Northeast side that, that takes women in and, and helps give them the, the essentials they need, not only clothes and food and a place to go, but, uh, just, pours love into them and encouragement to help get them um, out of the life that they're in. But this organization also, um, it goes after the demand and trying to stop the buyers and the sellers and try to help bring more accountability and more consequences uh, for the actions of those men. And so this is uh, an organization that Amy and I are incredibly passionate about. And you'll hear Lee talk about you know, how this, how he started this organization, he really said he, he heard about it through a paper that a friend of his had written. And it was something he's like, yeah, I've, I've got to do something about this. And so he brought together, it's crazy. He brought together, um, people, former military special ops, people, intelligent community professionals, law enforcement, social service workers, legal professionals, business owners, church leaders, brought them all together and said, how can we tackle the problem of sex trafficking here in Kansas City? And that's exactly what they're doing. And so uh, Lee talks about how we formed a Relentless Pursuit in, in the work that they do. And then he's also joined by Candace Spangler. Uh, Candace is a, is a victim of sexual exploitation herself, and now she's wor working directly with the women who are coming in uh, to Relent Relentless Pursuit through Christine's place uh, and to, you know, just to share encouragement with them and help them get back on their feet and, and get out of this world. So it's, um, as you'll hear, there's an incredible need for it, especially in Kansas city, but also just, just across the country. And I know that's one of the things that, that Lee talks about is how can he expand his influence and the work that they do, uh, at relentless pursuit to other areas of this country that, that need it. So, um, so with that, let's just jump into unmasking, Relentless Pursuit, Outreach, and Recovery. Enjoy the episode today, everybody. Uh, Lee and Candice, thank you so much for coming on Unmasked this week. I appreciate your time. 
Thanks for having us, Neil. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I know I shared this with Christine when I first met her and I know I feel the same way when I first met you, Lee, I was a little apprehensive coming up and saying hello to you because, um, because of my background, I know that I was probably the type of guy that you would be wanting to rip his head off probably. And so, um, not at all. Hey, you know, it's, I just praise Jesus that, that, uh, that life is long gone and now we're working together, hopefully to, um, to fight against sex trafficking. So, um, Lee, I'll start with you. Like, how did you end up starting Relentless Pursuit? Like what, what led you to that? It's a pretty random story. So, uh, it started with a, a paper that, um, Jared, a fireman friend of mine, uh, his wife wrote it for seminary school. And they, they were coming over to my house to watch some USC fights. And uh, she brought it over, asked me to read it. And it pretty much wrecked me, man. It, my life took a left turn after just literally reading that paper. Uh, and that's pretty much because you know, I look back at the history of everything I've done in my life, uh, you know, from being in the military to being a fireman, a cop, professional fighter, all these other things. Um, and I've never been trained in it. I, I mean, I didn't know what any of those terms even meant. And so I kind of re- read that paper and I was like, one, is this real? And two, if it is, what's everybody doing about it? Uh, so it kind of started me on this probably four, five, six month thing after reading the paper, man. Uh, just would talk to anybody that would listen to me. Uh, I mean, and, and I ended up getting lucky and meeting all the right people pretty, pretty quick off the bat. But a lot of that was, was Jennifer, uh, Jared's wife who wrote the paper, but, you know, she introduced me to Russ Tuttle and, you know, within months we've met Christine McDonald and, and I, I think I met all the right people. I obviously had a ton of friends in law enforcement. So we were talking to the FBI, Homeland Security, KCPD. You know, it was just kind of like this, uh, me trying to figure out, you know, what the heck's going on here. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, looking through that, uh, you know, with my military mindset, I looked at it as like, all right, dude, I, I think I have a grasp on what's going on. I kind of took a, a landscape assessment and said, all right, where can we fit in to help? Uh, we don't, you know, we don't need to try to change the world, but where's the little spot where we can get in and, and, and help a little bit? And initially it ended up being um, on the law enforcement side of just, you know, with analysts helping, you know, the FBI had two analysts at the time doing all human trafficking for Kansas and Missouri. And they're like, you know, or no, they actually only had one and she was married to a fireman friend of mine as well. So it's just this weird little small world. And I thought, man, with my uh, professional background of hunting terrorists for the last 20 years, surely I can hunt some, uh, some buyers and traffickers uh, and pedophiles here in, in, in my own hometown. So it started pretty small like that, man. And it was pretty much relentless pursuit outreach and recovery started out as, man, let's just support law enforcement where we can. And that's, you know, just doing the open source intelligence research and, and, and feeding them leads and, and maybe streamlining their process and helping them a little bit. Uh, and that's what we, that's, that's kind of how we started it. And then uh, it just grew from there, man. So what was your initial assessment then of, of this, I guess, of the threat, right? You're, you're doing a threat assessment and seeing what the situation is like here um, in the Midwest. What, as you read that paper from Jennifer and you started digging into it, what did you find? Uh, that her paper was pretty spot on because the paper was literally about domestic minor sex trafficking in Kansas City, Missouri. And I think that's the part that wrecked me. And then as you started to pull on that string and, and, and look at it from not just Kansas City, Missouri, but the state of Missouri and the fact that it's even going on at that level in our country. And then it goes not just minors. Then you start going to adults. It just started being the string I was pulling on. Uh, that's the part that wrecked me. And I was kind of pissed at, you know, how did I do all these other jobs in my life and get to, you know, being in my 40s before I ever knew this was a thing? Um which that's what made me get up and go, all right, well, now we're going to start a nonprofit and we're going to get in this fight and do something. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Uh, Well, Candace, how did you get involved with um, Relentless Pursuit? Well, I got um, involved with Relentless Pursuit through a survivor walk. I am a survivor from sex trafficking. Also my story is a lot similar to Christine McDonald's bought and sold right here in Kansas city on independence Avenue for many years. Um, so what, four years ago, um, I exited out of the life. Um, I actually married, uh, one of my buyers. Um, he'd never done it before. He was getting out of a seven year relationship. She cheated on him and, uh, I hopped in his truck and he's like, wanted to take me home and help me start a better life. And it, I mean, I fought him for like a year, you know, cause I didn't, you know, like you didn't want something for nothing ever, not where I came from, you know, but he genuinely just wanted to help me um, 
have a better life, you know? And so five years now we're married and um, life's just totally different for me. So during this walk, uh, it was a survivor walk. It was the first one we've had here in Kansas city. And uh, there was, I mean, it just started out actually just uh, a, a friend who had been out, wanted to just, get together and do the walk, And then a couple organizations got a hold of it. And lo and behold, Relentless Pursuit was there. And um, man, I just like, I latched on. I latched on to Relentless Pursuit from day one because um, they are boots on the ground, right? Um, we've got other organizations who aren't quite in the mix like Relentless Pursuit. Like we are doing outreach constantly. Um, we've got the drop-in center down on Independence Avenue where the girls can come in and get a change of clothes, a shower, a hot meal, um, multiple resources. And um, man, I had to be a part of this, right? It um, It's helped me to give back. And then a lot of the girls who are, coming in, I, I just was out there with them, you know, like, sure. and so they come in and, you know, some of them just like, oh my God, you know, like maybe I give them a little bit of hope, you know, that it can't happen. You know, um, I've got a beautiful life today. I just got hired on with Relentless Pursuit. Awesome. As, um, a caseworker slash, um, Analyst. Analyst. I'm sorry, my brain. Um, where uh, I I went and got certified to be a C assessor to help the ladies gain housing, um, extra resources, um, and just help manage, you know, the things that they need help managing. Because you know it's it's hard in the beginning, and when you come in, they don't have much of anything. You know, IDs, birth certificates, social security cards. Those are things that you just don't hold on to out there. Either your trafficker takes them from you, or somebody steals them. And so um, we start from ground zero with them, and um, you know, build them up, um, and just meeting them where they're at. Something yeah. that was not out there for me when I was out there. And so like relentless pursuit has my heart. It does. Yeah. And you know, and that's, you know, in talking to Christine about, about her story, and we'll, I want to, I'm going to ask you about her here in, in a little bit, but that's one thing that I kind of got from her and I'm hearing from you too, is that there just, there wasn't any resources out there for, for women who, who have been exploited and have been trafficked. And so, you know, you guys definitely stepped up and, and filled the gap, obviously. Right. Yep. And I think some of that comes down to is because somebody like me and the crew I put together to start the board originally, we have no business doing this. We have no background in it. So, you know, it's that keep it simple, you know, stupid thing, right? It's like yeah. we've been coming up with all these preconceived, hey, we're geniuses. We know exactly what we need to do. We're going to go in there and do it like X, Y, and Z. We just went, man, let's just jump in and help. You know, and that's just put your chin down uh, and get it done. Uh, hands up, chin down, and let's fight. Uh, and we, we, we'll figure it out. We went into it and opened up a building before we knew what the hell we were doing. So yeah. we're learning, we're learning from everybody that we meet. So I think that was technically our advantage in it is that this, none of us came from this background. I mean, the way we put the board together almost sounds like the start of a joke. You know, it's, it's me with my ridiculous background. And, you know, we had a pastor of a church, a uh, division of youth services worker, a lawyer from Pazinelli law firm, uh, a survivor, and then a, a girl that is in the financial management industry. Uh, just like, dude, none of us have no business doing any of this stuff. So yeah, but it God's came together. Help. Yeah, but together, yeah, right? with God's help, then we, yeah. look, look, what we, look what we've done in literally a short two and a half, almost three years. It, it's yeah. crazy. I, I I love that just because you guys, that's, you know, right? That's what uh, Pastor Philip always preaches, right? Where are you going to step into the gap? And how are people going to step into the gap? And so you, you've done that. And and, and I, I love that. Um, So, and this is something that, I guess I didn't think about when, you know, when I was, was on the buyer, it was a buyer, right? I didn't think about the, um, how big of a market Kansas city was for sex trafficking. Why? I mean, is, why is Kansas city such a hub for this type of activity? Man, I mean, you could read a ton of different studies on it, but it, I mean, it simply comes down to any city, uh, we're centrally located. You have all these major thoroughfares that come through there. We have a couple of big sports teams. We have military bases. 
Uh, I mean, it, everything just crosses through here, right? I mean, and I don't think, you know, it's not like Kansas City is worse than any other city. I mean, you go up to, you know, Dallas, uh, just pick any Denver. I mean, any this is going on in any big city. And again, I, that's almost the more disturbing part is we're, we're, we're a local nonprofit. We're a local organization. Absolutely. Um, and we're just trying to fight our one little thing. And so then we sit there and we get to pat ourselves on the back about all of our successes. But man, that's what keeps me up at night is going, well, there needs to be one in Omaha. There needs to be one in Denver. There needs to be one of these, the same mentality that we're just going to go to the gates of hell and pick a fight. You know, we're not hiding out in the woods and out in the country and saying, oh, we'll take your survivors. We're like, no, dude, let's go get them. Uh, let's just, let's put it in everybody's face. But man, we're barely scratching the surface just in Kansas City. And so then that's, that's disheartening for a person like me that goes, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to fix something. Uh we're scratching the surface, literally, and, and we can put another drop-in center uh, west of Prospect and south of 22nd Street, and we'd fill it up, too. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're touching Independence Avenue from a certain block to a certain block. Uh, so, yeah, I have to not talk about stuff like that to keep myself motivated because it's it's yeah. an overwhelming problem, man. It's it, it, It'll yeah, it'll eat you up. Do you, uh, do you think that uh, the, the pimps and traffickers out there, are they starting to realize what they're dealing with, with, uh, with you and, and the team? I don't think they have any idea yet. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> it's coming. Can't do it yeah. too fast. Right. <laughs> and you know, you made a couple of comments about it. You know, I don't have any ill will towards most buyers. Yeah. Uh, I, Allison Phillips explained this to me great one time was, you know, and, and even the Epic project, you know, you know about that and the things yeah. that goes on with that. And I look at our organization as the same thing. Right. So I'm not mad at every buyer. Uh, some of them you can educate and you can be like, Hey dude, if you educate that dude, he's probably not going to make that decision. You have your 21 year old kid that does it on his birthday or, you know, one time a year bachelor party thing. And, and you just kind of go down this, the, the scale uh, all the way to high frequency buyers, you know, and certain different organizations consider a high frequency buyer by different means, but whatever we all know, you know, if you're doing it every day or every week or every month, I mean, there's different scales of it. And the, the ones I'm concerned about is, you know, through education, through things like this, through a bunch of other nicer methods. We just want to get the word out to go. If we can quiet that 80 percent, that 85 percent uh, of not dedicated, hardcore, dangerous buyers, man, I'm happy with that. Let's do that the easiest way we can so we can quiet that white noise so that yeah. that 15 to 20 percent, the true predators, pedophiles, I mean, the, the ones that are going to kill these girls and yeah. and just do horrible things uh, so that, you know, people like me and then we're law enforcement can focus on those ones. So it, it really is about let's quiet the noise around here as much as we can with a bunch of other methods through education, awareness, podcast, uh, going to, you know, things at church, you know, a million other things. Fundraisers. Um, fundra yeah. So yeah, the real goal is to, is to get those truly dangerous uh, high frequency buyers, the pedophiles, the ones out there looking for 14 year old girls. Uh, you know, we got to start there. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, I mean, how, so you've been doing this for a few, few years now, but still not, not too terribly long, but I mean, have you seen the sort of the, the trend of trafficking change and over the past few years? I mean, I know with the internet, you know, that was a game changer, um, for, you know, from things moving from the back page and moving from the pitch now to, you know, all kinds of websites out there that, you know, that, that host this kind of stuff. I mean, but have you, has that changed how you look at the situation? No, sorry, change how I look at it. And again, because of where I was three years ago, I still don't know what I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we, we learn something new every day. But when, when you start talking about, you know, looking for buyers, traffickers, pimps, and pedophiles, uh, they're going to constantly evolve. So again, I'll go back to the whole thing with terrorism and my background in that is they did the same thing. Early in those wars, they, they had certain TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures. Well, those evolved as we evolved and, you know, then the military adjusts and then you win the war by you just bad guys always evolve better than good guys. They just unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. Um, yeah. But you, you stay relentless and persistent and you stay on them and you evolve with them and then you eventually win. Uh, so even in the short time that we've been doing it. Yeah, I absolutely have seen it. Backpage is a great example of, you know, that that was a good place to hunt because everybody came to that one place. Everybody knew it. What, what No big deal. FBI takes that site down. That has absolutely made this game a lot harder. Uh, now all the all the sex sites know to go to .eu. You know, servers overseas, harder to subpoena, harder to to, to make them give you information. Um, and then they scattered. So now instead of just one kind of 
shooting fish in a barrel. Let's go to back page and find, you know, sex buyers and, and pimps and traffickers. And let's find some victims on there too. Let's find the young girls and the girls that are showing signs of being victims. And let's, you know, reach out to them and see if we can offer them some help, man. Now there's 50 websites and a new one pops up once a month. And you're just like, Oh, I haven't seen that one. And now, and the big one, the big evolution we're seeing now is these sugar daddy sites. Yeah. Uh, those, those trouble me considerably because of they're targeting the younger population. They're targeting these girls coming out of high school, going into college. Hey, let me pay your college tuition. Just meet me once a month and do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, that evolution scares the crap out of me. Um, And then just the increased use of social media, social media platforms. I mean, that's just making, like Russ Tuttle always says, dude, the biggest brothel in the world is you're holding it in your hand right there. And that's from a sex buyer perspective and specifically a victim perspective, man. I mean, there's 15, 16 year old girls right now talking to some dirt bag uh, that's going to do not good things to them. So, sorry. Went off on a tangent there, buddy. No, no, no. That's no, that's no, no tangent <laughs> at all. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I just, you know, that's the thing that, you know, and I, I try not to look back too often at, you know, where I was, but that is probably the thing that's the hardest for me to, to come to terms with at times is, is not, not truly knowing who that person was I was going to meet. Right. And, and I've never met anyone who said, help me, I'm being trafficked. But how how do I know? Right. Right. And or groom not to. Yeah. Like from the very beginning, you know, was to take me somewhere like the police stop me or do a bust on me and they ask, you know, am I being trafficked or anything, you know, or trying not to, you know, no, no, we're not. That's my boyfriend, you know, or he loves me, or you know, we're family, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's just the mentality that is bred into us and groomed into us. And so, you know, you mentioned that there, there are signs of, of people being trafficked. Like, can, what are some of the signs that uh, of someone who is being trafficked? Um, is there something, is there any sort of clues that you can get by whether you, how you're talking to them and, and what they're, what they're saying to you? Man, Again, there's a, a ton of sites. I think even on our website, we have one that's just, you know, really generic indicators that are, are common sense. Once you read them, you're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, people that look down when they're talking to you or, you know, just people that look submissive, but, you know, when they're around certain people. But those are those are signs of domestic violence. Those are signs of a lot of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is no hard and fast answer, but like on the sex site specifically. So if you're going to go to skip the games or mega personals and and uh, and, and we're going to go looking for what we think believe to be a victim and we're always going to start if they're young. If they look like a minor, well, we're starting there because that's just the way the law is. You, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not allowed to do that. You don't have consent yet. So, um, tattoos, markings, right? So, brandings, markings, the crown tattoo. Uh, I mean, we, we talk about that one all the time. If I see a crown tattoo on you, you're getting some. You're going to get some extra attention from me. Really? Yeah. Absolutely, man. Wait, I mean, I, I, what is the? I don't know what do I? If, if, would I know it yeah. if I saw it? Yeah, just like the five point crown, like yeah, like the king would wear. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to use a percentage, but I don't know. That's, that's a huge indicator, man. And in, in wow. that, in that life, uh, these pimps and traffickers love to put that, that tattoo on their girls. And the nice thing is that sometimes they'll even put their initials on it or their name. I mean, I've seen full on names. You're like, well, you just made this easy for me, dude. You tattooed a big crown on her chest and you wrote your name underneath it. So cool. Uh, and then you took pictures of it and put it on the internet. Uh, you see some brandings, you know, the, the one I've never seen that always ends up in these training sessions is like the barcode tattoo on, on their neck or somewhere. I've actually never seen that one personally, but I've seen thousands of crowns tattoos. Um, what's some of the other ones? Uh, well, on the traffickers, they, I mean, they do the same thing to themselves uh, or they'll put MOB money over bitches mm-hmm. uh, dollar signs are a big one. It's just, it's taken that, you know, potentially what the girl looks like. Uh, anytime you see two girl specials uh, on those sex sites, that's probably going to get a little extra attention. No AA. Uh, yeah, no AA, uh, which means no African-American for the listeners. Uh, it took me a while to figure that one out. But when, then when you think about it, it makes sense. It sounds racist, but, has, you know, historically, pimps are black males between the ages of 18 and 35. Uh, doesn't mean that there's not some older and some younger. But if I have a stable of girls, I don't want another pimp to come steal my girl from me because that's what he would do is he'd make a date yeah. with her. And he'd roll up on her and be like, hey, girl, how much you making? I, you, you can make five times as much as me. I have a way bigger customer base. And that's how they steal each other's girls. So when we see no AA in an ad no or no black males, no African-American, I've even seen them as specific as saying no black males under 40. 
which means they're even giving us the answer of saying we know the majority of the pimps are black males between this age and this age. When we see no A in your ad, we're gonna we're gonna pay some extra attention to you again. So uh, I mean, I'm I, I rem- stuff, but it's a ton of stuff. I mean, I, I remember I remember seeing those those um, phrases mm-hmm. in those ads when I was when I was looking at them. I had no idea that yeah. that they would be a tip off to um, to what was going on. Yeah. That's crazy. And a lot of times you can see the ones that. I mean, maybe now I've, I've looked at so many, uh, you can usually, you know, I can tell a dude wrote that no girl in the world yeah. uses certain languages. She doesn't string things together like that. Um, so that's usually, I mean, I, I always look at kind of the, you know, I look at the details and then I'll kind of back up and kind of look at the whole ad, look at the wording in the ad, uh, and things like that and be like, man, there's just something off about this one. The pictures um, too. The pictures yeah. sometimes you can tell that the girl's not taking her own picture. So there's who's taking that picture for her. Right. Right. Um so you know you talk about, you know, there's you know, you where you have your outreach center, which is in northeast part of downtown Kansas City, and you could go to other places. Like how how do you see the work you're doing evolving as far as how do you reach some of these women that are being trafficked who aren't coming down to Independence Avenue to, to get help, right? They are online. They are sitting in the suburbs, you know, in, in, a, in some big house, um, put, posting ads online. Like, yeah. how, you know, what, how, does, how does the work you do evolve to try to combat that? So that's kind of the next phase of our, it's our next big project, right? So uh, the drop-in centers, the thing that, and it's just because we could get it up the quickest. Uh, sure. And Christine McDonald, we took a map and said, you know, the you know the street level girls, and we we literally based it off of how far they could walk, uh, because a lot of them are going to have cars or have that freedom of movement. Um, the drop-in center was just because we bought that building and said, you know, the goal was always to build uh, the Mike Daniels uh, home for the exploited or our crisis shelter, and that goes all the way back to where we started, where initially Relentless Pursuit started to kind of support law enforcement, help build target packages, do the analytical work, and, and then help law enforcement do their job. We were doing that for a few months, and then we were in a meeting with an FBI agent named Mike Daniels, who has since passed. Uh, and I remember sitting there with him, and I was like, "All right, dude, what do you think? Uh, do you like what we're doing? You know, more of this, less of this. Do you like this?" And he's like, "Dude, it's great. We love what you're doing. Keep doing it. But if you really want to help us, build us a place to bring these girls at two o'clock in the morning." And he lays out this scenario for me that he goes, "Lee, we'll do a three month investigation, and this these are the higher end girls getting sold online, not you know, not necessarily the street level girl." And it sounds messed up that there's just to me there's three tiers. And, you know, the higher end girls that can make a thousand dollars a night, you're going to see them in the casinos. Uh, then, you you know, as they get older or get more strung out on drugs or whatever, for whatever the reason, or get traded up on a different pimp that just operates a little bit differently. Now you're out of the Motel 6 by Worlds of Fun. And now you're, you know, and the prices are going to be different too. Thousand dollars a night to $200 for an hour, uh, <clears throat> all the way down to your, you know, your $20 blowjob on Independence and Quincy. So you got, and you got to look at the girls and that, and it, it sucks again, but you got to look at the, the, the level of girls like that as well and go, the drop-in center is more for those girls that can walk there. Most of them are homeless. They're fighting addiction. They have all these other vulnerabilities. We're like, let's just put a safe place for them to come hang out, take a shower, get a birth certificate, you meet them where they're at, no expectations of entry. But the, always the goal was the scenario that Mike Daniels laid out was three month investigation, hit a house, arrest these five dudes. And then, I'm, you know, I have a bunch of FBI agents in body armor sitting on the side of the road at some crappy address. And I got these three emotional girls that are high. They're scared. Their house just got kicked in by a bunch of mean dudes with in, in uniform. And he's like, man, we can't we, we're not equipped to deal with that. We're the FBI, man. Uh, he goes. So we they basically laid it out. They had two choices. We can either arrest those girls to get them off the street. That doesn't help them, though, because you end up like Christine McDonald with a 107 arrest and a bunch of felonies that takes you forever to get fixed. And they, and they know that that's not the right answer. And the other one is cut her loose. To be well, bought and sold another Cut her loose. Times. Well, where's she going to go? Her man just got put in jail because yeah. he's going to jail. Uh, what do you do with her? You cut her loose. So, man, when he said it, another light bulb went off in my head about the, just almost the same light bulb when I read Jennifer's paper was, holy crap, that's what we need to do. Uh, that's And then we bought the building. So in order, then we bought the building. Me and Jared were down there, you know, just renovating it because it was a mess. Uh, and we were sitting there. It's like, man, this area right here is not that bad. Let's just open up a drop-in center so we can, because it was getting cold. It was December of um, 2020. We bought the building in October 2020. Me and Jared started kind of helping to, to renovate it. 
And we saw some some areas that were like, man, let's open up the drop-in center. It's about to get cold. At least the girls will have a warm place to come hang out. We can start, you know, building relationships with them, planting seeds. But the goal was always to open up that second story, which will be a crisis shelter with 20 beds. So it's a long way to get to is the way we're going to get those higher-end girls is that crisis shelter will be more for that. So when we support law enforcement on their things, right now we're supplying food, victim advocates, medical services, and analytical work. Once that's open, we're just adding the other piece of, cool, man, we – we're supporting cops so they can be cops and do cop stuff. We're helping them with the analytical work to find the right girls. And then once you, once they find them and go arrest some bad guys and, and recover a girl, which I'll get back to, uh, they can bring them to us and then we'll fill And I think that thing will be full within a month of us opening it. And, and that'll be the girls that were trafficked here from a difference, you know, and they can stay for up to 90 days. Won't necessarily be, the girl that's fighting homelessness right now, because that's not the right answer sometimes, which that sounds kind of crappy too. But, you know, Christine, that's one of the things Christine McDonald told us was, you know, if you just let the wrong girl go up there, she's just going to go up there, lick her wounds, but then she's going to get Jones in for drugs again. And then she's going to be right out the back door. Um, so that's how I see us hoping on the, you know, the higher end girls that are in hotels, casinos and stuff like that will be that crisis shelter. And then that is just a 90 day process where we'll offer all the same services we are at the, at the drop-in center now. That'd be twenty four seven, so there'll be more program expectations of entry there. You you know you have to be ready to get make make some changes and get out of the life. Um, and at that ninety day point, we've either gotten you on your feet, gotten you an apartment, gotten you a job, done all the things that you need done, uh, or we've then transferred you over to a spot like Restoration House or through the National Trafficking Shelter Alliance, partnered with like one hundred and seventy long term shelter programs. Find the right fit for that girl. That's what we have that ninety days to do: get her clean, get her an ID, get to know her, figure out what the what what the hell she needs. Uh, and trying to make it happen for it, dude. So, or even if it's just getting them back home to yeah. their family, yeah. reuniting them with their family, because that's a very important part too, having that support. Yeah, and Candace, I was going to ask you. So, as, as you talk to these women that are that you're meeting at the drop-in center, and, and just through, you know, through, through your background, like, what are you hearing from them? Like, why why are they there, and how did they get into this? You know, be, get in this position to begin with. And all of the backgrounds are different. All of them, a lot of them know are um, meeting a guy, you know, falling in love with this guy who um, from the beginning never had any intention of, you know, doing right by her um, and just um, <clears throat> making her totally dependent on him, you know, to where it comes to a point where, you know, well, somebody's got to bring some money in, you know, and if you love me, you'll do this, you know, and so we love them, you know, <laughs> and so we do it. And it, sometimes it'll be just this one time, you know, and then it doesn't, it turns into another time and another time. And then you're in the motel room and then there's another girl involved, you know, and at this point you're totally dependent, you know, and then after years, like for myself, years of doing it, I, I didn't have any job skills, you know, I, um, I didn't, I didn't have any ways and means of supporting myself other than what I've been doing for the last 25 years, right? Because that's all I knew. I knew what brought money in. And um, even though I was bringing the money in and not doing right with it, you know, like drugs and alcohol and, you know, giving it to the guys, you know, motel rooms and things like that. Um, it's just a vicious cycle you get stuck in because I, one, don't have no transportation to get to and from a job. I don't even have an ID to, uh, you know, apply for a job. I have no job training, no job skills. Uh, I don't even have a place to lay my head at night, you know, if I even go to sleep to wake up to even go to work, you know, and it's just a very vicious cycle. And um, where you get help from one program, uh, but you need help all the way around with all the things. That's what Relentless Pursuit does. We help with all the things. We have all the resources. Um, I, I want to go back to, to, to the buyers for a second, because I've, Lee, what you brought up about sort of these different tiers of buyers, and because and I kind of feel the same way, like you got this top tier who are the, the thugs and just people who are just, who are just the creeps of the world who are never going to learn. You got this bottom half people who bottom tier who just they don't know any better. But you have this large group in the middle of, of men who I'm going to assume probably a lot of them are like me, you know, just broken, lonely. Um, I'm going to assume that you. I, I would assume that as you come across these men, pornography has to be 
a big instigator here, correct? Absolutely. hundred percent. That's uh, early in this, when I was learning as much as I could. Uh, again, I'm not a super smart person, but I was trying to figure out. So if the first paper I read was about domestic minor sex trafficking, I did the, the pyramid that you do for what all, all the different hierarchy of needs. Well, I did the same thing. It's like, man, if I was a man, uh, how do I get myself to, to the top of the pyramid and, and actually watch child porn or have sex with a kid? You're like, how does somebody in their head, how do they get there? So I built this pyramid and at the bottom of that pyramid is absolutely pornography. So every dude, uh, 99.99% because you never say every dude, uh, has watched pornography. It's, it's yeah. big in the military, dude. I've spent tons of deployments overseas. I've watched a ton of porn. So that, that's not me judging people. But then, you know, from porn, it's, hey, it's not enough. You start watching weirder and weirder and dirtier and dirtier porn. And then biggest search term on Pornhub is what? Young girls. Because it's just not enough, right? Uh, then, the, you know, you just start going up and you look at all the different ways. So between pornography and then, you know, the next one being like strip clubs, because pornography is not illegal. Strip clubs aren't illegal. They're, they're kind of fading out. That was kind of a thing of the, the 2000s and the 90s. Hey, let's go do a business meeting. The best steak is down here at this strip club still absurd because those yeah. girls are being exploited, but it's still legal. So, you know, you start pressing your luck and I'm not saying you hit, you had to hit every one of these, but in my mind, this is when, this is how the progression would have happened. I watched porn. It wasn't enough. And I was like, man, I, I want to see that in real life. So I went to a strip club and I was like, well, I ain't going to get in trouble. Not unless my wife sees my car there. Uh, and then the next step up that, you know, maybe somebody would hit would be uh, the illicit massage businesses, the Asian massage parlor. It's like technically still not illegal unless it gets raided when I'm in there, man, I can get a massage, throw a couple extra bucks at her. You know, she gives me a hand job. Cool. Still not really threatening myself if I get caught. Next one up, man, that's not enough now. I want to buy, I'm going to actually just run down and buy me a prostitute. I'm like, now I'm going to get online or go down to Independence Avenue and I'm going to actually physically buy a girl. Then the next one up is I'm going to buy a young girl, but that may turn around in this circle. Then I'm going to watch young girl porn and then I'm going to buy a young girl. And again, it's not that everybody hits that. I mean, if you're a sick enough person, you went from watching pornography straight to Child pornography straight to buying a young girl. So, but in my mind, I had to say, you know, what would a progression look like? Is you hit something along those lines, you didn't just jump in and wake up one day and go, man, I'm gonna go track down an eight, eight year old girl and try to have sex with her. Or I'm gonna track down a you know 10 year old girl and watch her having sex with somebody else. Uh, because that's disturbing. But you somewhere in the rest of that, you did something else in there. Um, so the base of that is pornography. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and that's I definitely um I, I graduated up until to to buying prostitutes you know uh, for whatever reason i never never moved on to the next tiers thank god for that yep. um but i i gotta admit I like are, are you seeing more and more of that demand for 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 children and for teenage girls does that seem to be growing because because of things like Pornhub that are out there yep. i think it's always been there it just hadn't been in the light People didn't talk about it. We, you know, it, I, or it was harder. Always, or yeah. it was harder to come. It was harder. To, yeah, I mean, you, you used to have to go to the, the dark web, right? And it's like half the people don't know how to get on the dark web, right? I mean, oh, I got to get a, a Tor browser and I got to get on the dark web. And then, well, half of those sites are FBI, and I'm going to go to jail. And all, you know, all these other dudes got arrested for trading child porn on the dark web. Well, I don't know about when, but somewhere in the last 10, 15 years, it didn't. It left the dark web because the FBI was down there hammering people, uh, and it just came right up here. Up to the surface web, right in yeah. front of us, and then yeah, just with the explosion of social media and cell phones and and all that stuff. So uh, maybe people wanting it hasn't grown, but I think access to it has absolutely increased. And with access, is going to make people maybe make decisions they wouldn't normally yeah. do, right? You're like, yeah, you know, before cell phones, but hell, before the internet, you know, what perverts were. Well, oh man, my wife won't have sex with me. I'm just going to look at the J.C. Pitties catalog and look at the underwear section. You know, that one that was. 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, you had the JC Penney's catalog section was probably the sexiest thing you could find, you know, and then comes pornography magazines and then comes the internet and then Pornhub. And, and it's like, dude, now, yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's only been about a year that, you know, we initially got into just the human trafficking piece. Right. Uh, and then we kind of started to make this transition into the child sexual exploitation side. Uh, and that was just with our relationships with law enforcement and trying to support them more. Um, that's been disturbing. Uh I'm not disturbed by much, but um, just the the amount of that scares me, for sure. And I have daughters, so sure. um, that definitely scares me. So, yeah. I mean, because I think there's, um, 
and my, look at my, my worldview is still changing and evolving, you know, from where it was before sort of blinders on, not really seeing, seeing the truth and, and frankly, just probably ignoring the truth that is out there. And I, because I think there are some, probably some circles in, in the culture today that just wants to dismiss child sex trafficking as just mm-hmm. some sort of internet myth. It's not real. And then you get, you know, you get the, you, you, you want to get political and you throw in all these big names that sort of clouds it a little bit. But I mean, you know, just look at the, you know, what's going on, you know, what happened with Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. and that whole case. I mean, I think that hope that still hasn't blown the lid off anything yet. Right. Like, do you, do you see that? Is that always something that's just going to be a battle to get that lid off of, of what's happening? Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's there's the big push right now to quit calling them pedophiles and call them minor attracted persons. Yeah. Uh, to make it, you know, that's the next evolution of, you know, hey, I can, you know, I, I can be whatever I want to be. I can identify with whatever I want to identify with. And you know what? I'm not, this isn't for a political discussion or for my personal opinions on it. You can, you can be whatever you want to be, but you will suffer the consequences of that. And especially if you start crossing that line and going, well, hey, man, I'm just a minor attracted person. She's 15 or 14 or 13 or 12. Man, you can identify that as all you want, but uh, yeah. So just like the raising the smoking age to 21, I feel like the minors should be raised to 21 too. You know, drinking is 21 and everything, but the sex is, it's still 18. And in some states, 17. I mean, there's even still acceptable where grown men are marrying 14 year old women, you know, like. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and uh, I know you've got a relationship with Russ Tuttle at the Sex Tra- Stop Trafficking Project. So, um, and I I had talked to him a few weeks ago. And he's he's awesome. I think I just asked him maybe two questions, and he just took over from there. It was yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, and we partner with them. So we did an app with them because you know, uh, you know, back to when we got started, my military brain kind of broke the problem apart. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm a simple person. So I put it in three buckets. And I was like, all right, man, to fight this thing, you got to have education and awareness. Then you got to have like recovery slash restoration for, for the victims. And then you got to have some kind of counter demand interdiction work. Uh, and my simple brain even said, man, if you push on any one of those buckets too hard, it's just, you know, you think of my, I visualize like a dam and it's got a leak in it. Well, if I sit there and I only push education and awareness, uh, it's just everything else is going to come flooding out. And play it out in your head and go, man, if all these nonprofits just ran around, just only educating and aware, making people aware. Great. Now you have a bunch of people that are now more educated on it. They're going to call the cops more. They're going to make more hotline calls. And that's great. But then what? And then you can say, well, okay, then let's push really hard on the recovery piece, the restoration piece. Let's rescue, which I told you I was going to get back to this thing is you know, we don't rescue girls. Nobody rescues girls. They rescue themselves. Yeah. Uh, you're just there to, you're just there to be with them. So yeah, we, we don't rescue girls. Um, so recovery is still not the best word. It's just the only one I can come up with. Um, but yeah, I, I, I despise that one. Oh, we rescued this many girls. You didn't rescue anybody, dude. They rescue themselves and you just kind of come up alongside and be like, dude, what do you need? How can we help? Um, but yeah, take, take my same analogy and you say, Hey man, we're just going to push on. We're going to try to recover every victim out there, every girl, we're going to offer everything. And I have a bazillion dollars. I'm going to give every one of them a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to buy them houses. What'd that do? Well, now you, you still got the demand. You still got men that'll buy sex. You still got traffickers that are going to go. They're just going to recruit the next graduating class from Liberty North High School uh, or the next young, vulnerable girl coming out of the foster care system. They're just going to replace them because the demand is still there. You didn't do the interdiction. So, again, I don't know if I'm making my point, but if you take those three buckets of my brain broken down to and you push on any one too hard and you don't kind of simultaneously kind of address them all equally or with in, with partnerships. So that's full circle to go. That's why we love Russ Tuttle. He's like, man, we don't really have to focus on the education and awareness piece because that dude is killing it, man. He's getting the word out to the the young kids. And that's a piece. So the only kind of education piece that we even try, you know, help with is, you know, educating law enforcement, education, you know, educating first responders, you know, uh, with with Jared's help, we ended up getting just for KCFD alone. We're like, man, what if, because I was a fireman and then, you know, back to reading that paper, I was like, I mean, how many times did I miss something I could have helped on as a cop. How many times did I miss something? So I was like, well, cops and firemen and paramedics and nurses and all these people need to be trained a little bit better. Um, so we can have that. So 
between Russ and, you know, the Human Trafficking Training Center. And there's a lot of good organizations out there that are either saying, hey, man, we're focused on training nurses or hotel workers or kids. So we didn't figure that's that's just the smallest piece of our pie. Uh, and I think we split with a lot of good people, the restoration recovery piece. I mean, because we, we do I think we're the only place doing the meet them where they're at, you know, down there at the gates of hell. I don't think anybody else is doing that as good as we are. But there, that's com- that's a complex thing, too, because you still got to have the long term restoration. You got to have all the victim advocates and all the people that support us through care beyond the boulevard with um, the medical needs. And, you know, just the value unconditional helps us with the victim advocates. And so not not saying that Relentless Pursuit takes credit for it, but that's the piece. We focus a ton on that. Hence, a drop in center and a crisis shelter. Um, and then, yeah, we're the only ones supporting law enforcement on the on the counter demand interdiction stuff like you know, deep with law enforcement. And that was one of the things I found when we got into the nonprofit world was, uh, you know, if everybody says they're here to help and law enforcement weren't big fans of uh, nonprofits and nonprofits usually aren't big fans of law enforcement. And it's like, I think, dude, I used to be a cop. Uh, No, we're not going to hug our way out of this problem. We just need to, you know, go smash somebody's head in. And nonprofits are looking at like, oh man, cops are all assholes. And, you know, we just need to hug our way out of this. I just need to get with this girl. We'll cry together. We'll fix her. You're both wrong. You ain't hugging your way out of this problem and you sure the hell ain't arresting your way out of this problem. So that's one of our biggest goals is to close that gap between these girls and law enforcement and nonprofits in general and law enforcement go, guys, we're in the same fight. And if we don't support each other and we don't, you know, work together, we're just chasing our tails essentially. And and, and the only people that pays for that, and you get these people arguing about it. The only people that pay for that are the victims. Sure. That's it because the traffickers are still making their money. The buyers are still getting their sex. These nonprofits are still raising money saying they're doing stuff and they're not. Uh, it's, still making quota. it's super frustrating. So um, that's, to me, that's, again, our goals change all the time. But uh, one of the biggest things I'm proud of is us. I feel like we're closing that gap every day, every day with little things, man, like at the drop-in center. We'll have cop buddies of mine come by in uniform. And when we first started doing it about a year and a half ago, you could tell where the girls' warrants were at. Because like a guy in a KCPD uniform would come in and certain girls would scatter. Yeah. And then and certain girls would, wouldn't even get out of their chair. And then a guy from Clay County might come down and then certain different girls would scatter. And you're like, oh, she must have a warrant in Clay County. Um, so but it's just building that trust. And obviously, any cop that ever walks into our building, he's not there to arrest anybody. And so it, it's actually started to work, man. He's, you know, uh, you know, well, guys in uniform come in and the girls are like, hey, what's going on? You're like, that's big. And again, it sounds stupid, but you're like, dude, that's a big deal. Or the firemen, like the, the firemen all up and down in that area, they've started to know some of the girls because a lot of, you know, the Jared's buddies that are that are still in the fire service, they'll come down and volunteer, they'll come help us do some construction, and they just end up running across these girls, and they'll be on the fire truck, and a girl will pull up on them next to a moped and be like waving at them. They're like, that's cool. We're, 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 we're closing that gap, man, For the from the people that can help you to the people that need help. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And well, you stole that question from me because I was going to ask you what, you know, the kind of impact that you've been seeing. And I got to imagine like, like it's, you know, you hate to say it, but it almost feels like, you know, the demand that you're probably never going to be able to truly get rid of the demand. I mean, it's, it's always going to be there, but how do you at least start to shrink it, you know, person by person and step by step. But I mean, it sounds like you're, you're making those steps. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the question is how to shrink the demand, uh, I have a few, um, one would be making buying sex a felony. Yeah. yeah. They did it in Texas. It's a misdemeanor here. Uh, you can't get a prosecutor to take a case, which I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but even if you get caught by the police, it ain't much, man. It's a misdemeanor. You're going to get a ticket and then you're going to get a lawyer and you're going to plead it down to a non-moving traffic violation. You're going to pay two or 300 bucks. But for the girl, it's a felony. But yeah. Yeah. uh, So, I mean, simply changing a couple of laws, like making, making buying sex a felony, I think that curbs it dramatically. And I use the, the DUI analogy here, right? I mean, you don't get behind a wheel when you're hammered because you're like, man, if I do this, uh, one, could I hurt somebody? Two, uh, if I get pulled over, that's ten thousand dollars to my lawyer. I got to go to this, this star course before I can get my license back. My insurance is going to go through the roof. Same thing with sex buyers. Just go do do the same thing. If you get caught buying sex the first time, cool. It's like get your first DUI, man. You uh, you're going to sit in a five day course learning empathy and learning, getting educated on what these girls are going through, just like they do if you get caught drinking and driving. They teach you about the dangers of drinking and driving. Right. So they, you know, the, they run parallel pretty pretty quickly. So, um, you know, and then the second time, you know, just just keep upping it. And the third time you get caught buying sex, man, that's the third felony, bud. So I, I think that would be a big one. Um, and then changing the legal definition of a minor 
involved in, in sexual exploitation or, or in the sex industry, making it 21 instead of 18, because we run into that a lot with the, the sex ads. Uh, we see a girl and she looks really young and you do all this research and you figure out, you find out what her real name is and you find out, I was like, ah, oh, man, she's 18. So no prosecutor is going to give a crap. He's just going to be like, ah, she's 18. Now, if she was 17, they'd be like, oh, we're putting federal human trafficking charges on whoever posted that ad. And it's weird that it's just that breaking point, 17, 18, 17, 18. So you're like, all right, well, let's just do it the other way. Make the definition of the word minor equal 21, like we do for alcohol. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? I mean, right. a 19-year-old can't walk into a bar and, and, and have a beer with me. Yeah. So they definitely shouldn't be sitting in the Motel 6 having sex with somebody. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just those two right there. You change those two laws, and I think you curb uh, the buyer market uh, considerably. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing I, I think about, too, and I, I don't want to harp on buyers too much here, um, but, um, like, that's the, one of the things that I've started to realize in, in talking to other men who have been, um, who've had pornography addictions and, it, and it's led to other stuff. It's like it's, you know, we, we tend to treat, for these men, we tend to treat the, the addiction, that's, which is really just sort of the, the, uh, the symptom of a bigger problem. Right. And we're not treating the bigger problem that these men have now, personally, I think, you know, it's, it comes down to a relationship with God and, and, um, you know, getting yourself, a, you know, filling up your heart and it was something other than sex and pornography. Um, but we're, you know, it just seems like we're treating, you know, treating this condition, just trying to get rid of the, the symptom and not try to right. fix the root cause of what's going on. Well, everybody's heard it. Right? Boys will be boys. Yeah. Oh, he did it again. Boys will be boys. No, right. <laughs> no, no, uh, it's not. They shouldn't. There's something else bigger going on. Right. Uh, and they're not. Yeah. That'll drag me into this whole cultural discussion, too, was, you know, that's part of the problem, too, is we've made being a pimp. Cool. What? Snoop Dogg yeah. admitted pimp. Uh, Ice-T, what? He's on Law and Order Special Victims Unit as a cop. Bro, yeah. he's he's talked about being a pimp. So these cultural things of you know, rap songs talking about it, you know, running girls doing X, Y, and Z. And uh, yeah, we're not helping ourselves with, with that kind of stuff. Um, no, so. we're not, not at all. Um, well, Hey, before, before we wrap up here, I, I did want to, I said, I promise I wanted to ask about Christine and your relationship with Christine. Like, how did you, how did you two come together and, and um, how did, and then how did that end up turning into Christine's place? Uh, so we met her at a fundraiser. I think it was Knob Noster. Knob Noster. We show up, dude, we're a relatively new organization. I think we just got our first run of t-shirts. Uh, but I, I kept hearing her name, right? Because again, we were traveling in those circles with the Russ Tuttles and the Allison Phillips and, you know, all the kind of who's who. And of, and of course, everybody's keep everybody at a distance at first. Like, ah, oh, man, who's this, who's, who are these relentless pursuit people? But we ended up at this fundraiser. We, we had a table set up uh, and I'd heard her name from Jennifer and Jennifer's like, dude, you got to read her books. Um, Man, we just ended up meeting her at that fundraiser. And I'm trying to think, obviously, hit it off with her immediately. Uh, just her story is something else. And I think her ride, like she was supposed to go down to Jeff City and do, do something for some legislative stuff. Ride fell through. We just happened to be standing there. And I was like, man, we'll take you. So two or three days later, me and Jennifer uh, are driving her out there. Just like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a ride out there. Gave her a ride out there. So we had like two or three hours in the car with her there, two or three hours on the way back. Just talked about everything, dude. Got to know each other. Uh, and before long, we're like, man, you want to be on the board? Got her on the board. You know, just we try to learn as much from her. And again, you know, people like her and Candace and these survivors. Again, I, I said early on in this that me, Jared, Jennifer, my wife, all the board members, we none of us have any business. We, we had no business getting into this, but we we will work and we'll figure things out. But you got to take your lead from them. The people with the lived experiences, uh, you got to listen to them, man. And so just over time, we built a relationship with Christine. Uh, and again, if you go back to the original idea of buying that building was to do the crisis shelter, because that's what I learned from Mike Daniels. Um, but Christine had kept talking about a drop-in center, drop-in center. I was like, no, man, we're, we're on this thing about a crisis shelter. That's where we're really going to make the impact. And she kept saying drop-in center, drop-in center. And then it was just that day me and Jared were sitting there. And so I just seemed it fitting of if we're going to turn this into a drop-in center, it's got to be called Christine's place, right? I mean... Yeah. Why not? Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's just fitting. I, yeah. That's the best explanation I have, man. I wish I had a, a more epic <laughs> answer for you, but um, it just is what it is. It's, it, it's redemptive for her. And I'm going to buy another building and name it Candace's place next. 
well, I just, I, you know, I, I'm always just amazed. And this, this is one of the things that, um, that I keep just every day I wake up, like, how did this happen? Just to see how God puts people together that you wouldn't think, like you said, you, all your board came from all these different walks of life that you probably never would have imagined would come together for this issue. And yet here everybody is working together for the same thing. I never would have imagined two years ago that I'd be sitting here talking to, to you two. Right. There's no way in heck that 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 should have happened, but God. Okay. And um, it's uh, and I love that. Um, before last question for you before we wrap up, what advice do you have for for parents out there? You know, you said you've you've got you've got little you know girls that you're a father to, uh, and Candace through what you've seen. Like, what what advice would you have for for families out there on how to protect uh, their their daughters and and their sons from this? You got to have those hard talks. You got to have those hard talks with them. You know, um, we try to shelter our kids and, you know, like as long as it's age appropriate, you know, but you've got to make them aware, you know, if they don't know the dangers that they face, they're not going to know how to avoid them. You know, they're not going to know how to protect themselves. So definitely having them hard talks, you know, and education is very important. You know, um, people think that it does for the longest. Nobody talked about sex trafficking. Nobody um, talked about buying sex and things like that. But now that it's in the limelight, just having them hard talk, hard talk talks with those kids. Yeah. If you don't teach it to them, they're going to learn from somewhere else. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's true. I'd rather learn from me. Yeah. Yeah. I was 14. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I just was mad at my mom, mad at my, you know, just mad at the world because I didn't get the pair of shoes I didn't, you know, that I wanted, you know, or something like that. So I'd run away and the limelight of the street life and, you know, just those things, you know, is what had attracted me to it. And so. Yeah. And, and there's no perfect answer, man. I mean, you know, if somebody figures out how to be the, the, the perfect parent, man, please uh, call <laughs> me. And I'll put my cell phone number on our website. Uh, but yeah, I think what Candace is saying is absolutely spot on is you, know, you got to have those courageous, hard conversations with your kids that you just don't really want to do. Uh, and then, you know, don't necessarily try to be their friend all the time, dude. I right. mean, that, my my uh, about to be 13 year old does not have social media and she will not uh, until I until I deem it appropriate. And then it will be monitored. Uh, absolutely. And that's not because I don't trust her. It's because I don't trust everybody else that's out there that because I, I know what I know what she's going to see. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, and like you, Candace made the comment about, you know, being upset with her parents for not getting the right pair of shoes. So she runs off and and, you know runs amok. Well, now it's, well, I want the iPhone 13 so I can get on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all this other crap. Um, yeah. Yeah. My kid don't even have a phone. Yeah. And, and, and but again, there's no right answer when you give your kid a phone. So uh, yeah, I think it's just having good, good, hard conversations with them and, uh, and being a parent. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think having no social media is the right answer. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Uh, I wish someone would take it away from me sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, hey, look, I, I thank you both for taking the time this evening. I know you've got a lot going on in your world. So just thank you for, for coming on and thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for letting me be a very, very small part of it. I, I appreciate you both. Well, thanks for having us, man. We, we really appreciate being able to, to talk about it and get the word out about what Ramones Pursuit is doing. And Obviously, everybody can hit up our website. We can always use help down there. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers and ton of work to be done down there. Again, we're just getting started. Donations, uh, all things women. Yeah. Always need socks, bras, underwear, hygiene. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure that we'll put the we'll put the link to your website in in the show notes, and I encourage everyone um, to check it out and 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 find a way to help because it's a it's an important issue. So thanks again, guys. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks again to Lee and Candace for talking about Relentless Pursuit this week. Truly appreciate everything they do. They are doing such important work, and and I hope you go check them out and or, and see what they're about. And if you're in Kansas City, go down there, volunteer, or if you're outside of the area, consider contributing to this group. Yeah, there's a link to the organization in the show notes. They just do such important work. And it also ties into Run to Stop It, which is the activity that, that my church uh, puts together. That Run to Stop It race as part of the Kansas City Marathon is coming up on October 15th. 
Um, I'll put a link to, to run to stop it in the show notes as well. Please check it out. Uh, consider donating. Uh, if you purchase my book unmasked through my website, neilgetslow.com, I'm donating 100% of any proceeds uh, between now and October 15th from the sale of that book right back to run to stop it. So uh, check it out uh, when you get a chance. And again, just thanks to, to Lee and Candice. And also thanks to Christine McDonald for, for coming on and for Russ Tuttle. They both have been on previously. These, these people are all working together to stop the demand, to protect kids, to protect women. And I'm just, I feel incredibly blessed to be able to, uh, to be able to, to bring awareness to these issues. And, and I hope it's something that you join me in, in fighting uh, as well as we look to, to sort of uh, take back this culture from uh, from some of the evil that's in the world. So with that, everybody, I just uh, I thank you for listening this week. We're going to be back on schedule with another episode coming out on Monday. So, so be on the lookout for that. And remember, Jesus did not come to hang out with the saints and the righteous. He came out to hang with the sick and the sinners of the world like you and like me. Have a great week, everybody.